If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com 1212. This is the World According to Zig podcast for November 10th, 2019. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. If you're interested in the directly political news of the day, specifically that related to President Donald Trump, make sure you check out my other podcast, which is the Individual One podcast. You can find that at freespeechbroadcasting.com or via the Individual One Pod Twitter handle. This week's episode features a very extensive and quite entertaining interview with Republican presidential candidate Joe Walsh, who is running against Trump for the Republican presidential nomination. So I urge you to check that out. Uh, The World According to Zig podcast is going to be once again focused. And to be clear, folks, I never intended this to be the case. I have no idea how this all happened. But uh, largely because we put the political news on the Individual One podcast and partially because we got so deeply embroiled with the Michael Jackson leaving Neverland situation earlier this year, and partially because I've now become known through that story and many others as the crusader to defend people who've been uh, unfairly attacked in the media for cases involving sexual abuse, it appears as if almost all the stories we talk about in the World According to Zig podcast at least somewhat relate to people being accused, I believe very unfairly, of sexual abuse. For instance, this week, I spent most of my week uh, on the phone with Matt Lauer again. Uh, it's it's bizarre. Uh, I've had a lot of strange uh, things happen in my life and career. But if he had told me uh, two or three months ago, uh, yeah, you're, you're going to uh, speak uh, over an extended period of time more with Matt Lauer than you have with your wife, uh, then um, you know I, I would have been pretty shocked. And I can assure you, by the way, I, I know for sure he's spoken with me way more than he's spoken with his wife because <laughs> I don't think he speaks to his wife at all anymore, but uh, it's been fascinating, and uh, hopefully sometime fairly soon, 
it will uh, all uh, become public as to, to why we've been having our discussions and, and why I am convinced uh, that Matt Lauer is one of those who has indeed been very unfairly accused of sexual abuse or sexual assault. And I believe uh, that he's totally innocent of those particular charges. And I think the evidence is overwhelming of that. I'm not going to talk in detail, though, for many reasons, about the Matt Lauer situation in this episode. And in fact, uh, I'm going to focus more on the most recent uh, revelations involving the Jeffrey Epstein alleged cover-up, as well as the Jim Jordan situation, and also an update on the uh, Jerry Sandusky Penn State case, which had a major anniversary uh, just yesterday. Uh, the Epstein situation, I find to be incredibly frustrating and very confusing to me. I am totally confused uh, from a political standpoint as to why the right wing is so obsessed, and I mean obsessed, with the idea that Jeffrey Epstein, who was clearly a pedophile, that's why he killed himself, in my uh, belief of the facts. I think it's pretty obvious that's what happened, and it's, that's why he got arrested. That's why he didn't want to spend the rest of his life in prison, I believe. And it's, it's hilarious that a lot of people think I'm naive. Like, I've got a blind spot on this obvious scandal. Zig, you're usually so on to these things. Why don't you understand that it's so obvious that, uh, that Jeffrey Epstein did not really kill himself in a federal prison? You cannot be serious! I the reality is um, that this theory makes absolutely no sense uh, whatsoever. And yeah, I get that there's some uh, weird anomalies about the case. I get it. There were some cameras in the prison that apparently were not working. Supposedly, the people who were in charge of that section of the prison were asleep, and then they falsified documents to try to cover that up, which, by the way, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like perfectly normal human incompetence. That's what that sounds like to me. But here's the part, uh, the, the, there are several parts that I am completely flummoxed by. Number one is what people think actually happened here. And, and I guess in a weird way, this is a lot like uh, many other famous conspiracy theories, like the JFK assassination. Yeah, there are all sorts of weird things that happen in life. And especially when you're looking for a conspiracy, especially when you think of uh, you know, a story as being you know, so huge that it couldn't possibly just occurred because some lone nut happened to be working at the school book depository building and uh, all of a sudden woke up and realized, oh my God, the president's going to be driving past me in an open uh, limousine and I happen to have this uh, shotgun and I I'm going to become famous and I'm going to kill him. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I also happen to be uh, uh, pro-Cuba. Uh, I mean, you know, look, I don't want to get into the Kennedy assassination. I used to be, a, when I was young, I was a huge JFK conspiracy theorist. I, I bought into the whole mafia theory because I thought they had the means, the motive, and the opportunity. It's all bullshit. All right. Now, now you know, so the, the conventional wisdom is not 100% accurate. I've talked about this and written about it extensively. But the bottom line is that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. Uh, that's the essence of the story. There, there's some elements of it that haven't, to this day, in, in my opinion, been gotten right. But the majority of America seems to think that there was some sort of conspiracy to kill JFK. And many people laugh at the conventional wisdom that Lee Harvey Oswald could have acted alone. Well, here's what I would like people uh, with the Epstein story to do. Can you and I ask this of all conspiracy theories. 
similar to the 9-11 truther conspiracies. Can you please give me not just a few questions or anomalies or things that that didn't go correct, that are in the realm of normal incompetence. Can you please give me an alternative, full narrative that makes a goddamn bit of sense? And I'm not just talking. I'm not talking about the fact that people didn't have the. I all see people had an incentive. You know, powerful people probably are happy that Jeffrey Epstein died. All right, that could have even theory- theoretically been part of his motivation for killing himself. He didn't want to rat out friends because uh, he knew that was where this thing was going to head. I don't know. I'm, I'm theorizing here. But um, here, here are the major problems with the idea that Jeffrey Epstein was murdered in prison. Number one is if you're a powerful person who is concerned that Jeffrey Epstein may rat you out and bring you down because he uh, has the goods on you for this whole pedophilia ring he was essentially running. If you're one of those people, why would you wait to kill him until he was in a maximum security federal prison? Why would you do that? Can we please use our fucking brains for a second? It's not like uh, there was uh, this was a shocker that Jeffrey Epstein was finally arrested. I mean, there have been rumors about this guy. He had been uh, had been charged previously. This was a guy who, uh, if if he had the goods on you, was a uh, a walking time bomb. So if you were going to kill him, uh, you would not wait until he was literally in the most difficult place to get at him that you could possibly imagine. Now, for those who doubt that, uh, I would submit that you have never been in a maximum security prison. I have. <laughs> Not because I was I was incarcerated, but because I interviewed Jerry Sandusky uh, in a maximum security prison in Pennsylvania. And I can assure you, the idea that you could ever get into someone's prison cell in any kind of a legitimate prison, I've not been to this one in particular, but uh, the idea that you could simply, there's, I guess, two scenarios here. You walk in as a non-employee and you uh, find Epstein, you get into his cell and you strangle him in a way that's consistent with him hanging himself. And then you you set it up so that he looks like he hung himself. Okay, um, do you not understand that every 15, not, not only is it impossible to get into a prison uh, without them knowing who you are, your name, uh, you, you, you know, there's all, there's all sorts of documentation. There's also uh, checkpoints, like every 25 feet, where you, you are then identified. So they know exactly where everybody is at every possible moment, right? So they would know. They would know the handful of people that in the middle of the night, somehow, somehow in the middle of the night, Someone gets into Jeffrey Epstein's uh, prison cell and strangles him. They would know it. I don't care how many cameras were not operating. There would be some sort of video evidence. There would be documentation everywhere. Unless, unless there was a conspiracy of such massive proportions that it would be impossible to pull off.
because guess what? Somebody would have an incentive to tell on the conspiracy or everybody in the conspiracy would get so paid off. They would have to be, because you got to remember there, these, there are people who got fired here. They got, they got their careers destroyed in order for them to be incentivized to do that. You're going to have to pay them enormous amounts of money. Guess what happens when you pay somebody enormous amounts of money? There's evidence of that. There's massive evidence of that. Especially now when we live in a world where you can't even take out more than $9,999 out of a bank account without the federal government knowing about it. So, I mean, the whole thing is insane from the beginning. Now, okay, maybe it wasn't a guest that came into the middle of the night. Maybe it was someone who worked there. Again, if it's someone who worked there... There's the same records. There's the same amount of information. It's going to be very easy to track down, especially in the middle of the night, the one or two people that would have had the opportunity to do this. Why hasn't that happened? Well, the, this is the part about the right wing that blows my mind. The only way to make that somehow work is if the Trump administration is in on this conspiracy <laughs> because... This is all part of the Department of Justice, which is run by Bill Barr, Donald Trump's favorite cabinet member, his attorney general. So, so this is I, I'm just so flummoxed that right wingers see this as somehow a cause worth pursuing when if they're somehow right, when there's no evidence or logic that they are, the only persons that really get implicated are those in the Trump administration. They're the ones that are responsible here. They're the ones that would have to be part of this massive, nonsensical conspiracy to kill Jeffrey Epstein. And as far as those who say, but John, but John, the esteemed Michael Bodden, forensic pathologist, has gone on Fox News Channel and said that his examination of the records indicate that he might have been murdered as opposed to hanging himself because his injuries are maybe more consistent with a strangulation than with a hanging. Now, I'm certainly no expert in this realm, but what I have read is that while there are some anomalies in the autopsy, that it's perfectly rational that the injuries he incurred occurred because he was hanging himself, by the way, in an obviously less than ideal circumstance. I mean, this is not a professional hanging. This is as amateur as it gets uh, with, under very difficult circumstances to pull this off. So it's not shocking that the injuries aren't going to be perfect with regard to what you consider to be a classic hanging. Um, but even more importantly than that, Michael Bodden is a fucking fraud. Okay? Michael Bodden is a joke. Michael Bodden is a courthouse whore. He is the Gloria Allred of uh, forensic pathologists. Only that might be an insult to Gloria Allred. He chooses his cases and the side he will take based upon two things and two things only. How much he's going to get paid and how much attention he's going to get for it. That's it. The guy testified on behalf of O.J. frickin' Simpson. Now, to me, if you're a forensic pathologist and you testify on behalf of O.J. Simpson, okay, fine. You got paid by O.J. You got your attention. You are now disqualified for all time. For all time, you are not a credible person. 
And yet Michael Biden did it, got away with it, along with that other fraud, Dr. Henry Lee. Doctor, oh, that's another one. I don't even want to get into Dr. Henry Lee. But Dr. Henry, Dr. Henry Lee is the guy. Is in my opinion, is a is a guy who has made a career out of the fact that he's Asian and can't speak uh, English very well, and so everyone presumes he's a fucking genius because of our our prejudices with regard to uh, and our biases with regard to how smart uh, Asian people are when it, when it comes to this realm of endeavor. He he's another one that's a freaking fraud. But Baden is worse. Baden is is actually so bad that when my wife and I watch Dateline, which we do on a on a consistent basis, it's one of our favorite things to do. Where we often discuss how we would plan to murder each other if we ever decide to do this, and how we would get away with it. Uh, when we're watching a Dateline and we're not a hundred percent sure whether the defendant is guilty or not, and Michael Baden's name comes up as a defense a witness, we go, oh. <laughs> Guilty as shit. Guilty as shit. We now know uh, the, the defense has no credibility because they hired Michael Baden. So don't give me Michael Baden. Uh, but please do give me some semblance of a narrative that makes some goddamn sense, uh, which no one will do. So who did this? Who did this? We know who's in the fucking prison. Give me a name of who killed him. There's a limited number of people that are in there. There's a very, very clear record of who's there so who did it you've got a very limited number of suspects tell me who killed him crickets nobody will do that so this week there was a huge amount of news coverage because project veritas a right-wing pro-trump group who by the way doesn't trust anybody in the mainstream media this is another hilarious part of this they don't trust anybody in the mainstream news media and yet they they make a huge deal over the fact that Amy Rohrbach of ABC News was caught on a hot mic saying that, boy, she's really pissed off that, uh, that ABC didn't run her Jeffrey Epstein story three years ago. They had the whole thing nailed. The story got spiked. Uh, about the only thing she said that really I thought rang very, very true and troubling was that uh, the ABC decided that they didn't want to piss off the royal family because of the connection of Prince Andrew to the story and that they would lose out on interviews with Kate and William because of it. That's That rang true, and that was troubling to me. And then uh, Rohrbach also said that she was 100% sure that uh, uh, Epstein... Uh, had not really killed himself and that he had to have been murdered because there were so many powerful people that wanted him dead. Well, my first reaction to that was, oh, wow, I had no idea Amy Robach was a moron. Uh, she always seemed like she, you know, was fairly sensible and halfway decent. So she's clearly a moron. But, but the funny part about this is Project Veritas is deciding that we're going to uh, uh, use as proof of proof uh, of this massive cover-up, the opinion, the private opinion of a mainstream news reporter who, if on the same hot mic, she had said, you know what, I really believe that Trump is a Manchurian candidate on behalf of, of Russia, <laughs> they, they would have completely disregarded her. In fact, they would have used it as evidence that she's got a vendetta against Trump and she's a whack job and she should be fired. That's the way, that's the hypocrisy involved in all of this. But this story makes a huge amount of, of uh, certainly on social media, gets a lot of attention. Understandably so. I mean, the video is interesting. It is fascinating to see Rohrbach on where she doesn't think, apparently, that she's going to be, uh, uh, what she's saying is going to be publicly viewed, uh, that she's expressing these opinions. 
I do think they were misinterpreted. And I think that her statement and the statement that ABC put out, and I'm someone who hates the news media as much as anybody in the world. I distrust them as much as anybody in the world. But I believe in logic and facts, and I understand their motivations. And I'm not suggesting that they should be trusted blindly at all. And in fact, as I've already said, I, I think that there is a very good chance that a factor as to why ABC decided not to go with Rohrbach's Epstein story is because of this royal family angle. That's the part of her story when I went, oh, okay, that rings true. And that, if true, uh, would be a major problem from a journalism standpoint. And unfortunately, that's the way the world now does work. They think about these things in this way. Uh, and, and it's corrosive as hell. Um, but I also think there's an important point. I wrote a column about this for Mediate, which you can check out at freespeechbroadcasting.com, that no one else is writing because we're all in the middle of this hysteria where, oh, my gosh, 2020 hindsight is perfectly legitimate to say in retrospect, oh, we should have gone with this story three years ago. Can we examine what the situation was three years ago? And it's amazing to me how bad people are at this. People are absolutely horrible at thinking about the way things were at the time as opposed to in retrospect via 2020 hindsight. Three years ago was before Me Too. Before Me Too, we had these things called journalistic standards. I know, I know, it's funny because they don't exist anymore. But there used to be standards for whether or not you would go with an allegation of sexual abuse. Those standards used to include, well, we at least have to have an arrest. Or at the very least, we have to have some semblance of a legitimate lawsuit. And we've got to have some corroborating evidence or multiple testimonies from victims. Because if we don't do that, we're labeling someone as, in this case, a pedophile uh, that is going to destroy their lives, and there needs to be a high standard for that. Now, this is, seems antiquated now, three years later, post-Me Too, where you don't need anything. As long as it's a famous person and one allegation, they don't even have to make their allegation in the lawsuit. Uh, with, with, hell, with Matt Lauer, all they have to do is tell Ronan Farrow, and that's all it takes. Bam, you got a rape allegation in a book. Uh, so uh, so the standards have gone completely to crap. Uh, and uh, But three years ago, they at least existed in some semblance uh, of reasonability. You know what else was the case three years ago? Nobody knew who the fuck Jeffrey Epstein was. Okay? And that's really important because, unfortunately... That's a huge part of how news is determined, even three years ago. Is this person important enough? Is he known enough? Will people care about this? Is it significant enough? And ABC made the decision, which looks bad in hindsight, that you know what? Uh, we don't really have this story nailed. It hasn't reached the threshold. Epstein is not, uh, he's not under arrest. Uh, there's no lawsuit involving him in this uh, situation. Uh, we don't have a corroborating witness. There are problems. No one wants to mention this, but there are problems with the witness's story from a factual standpoint, and we just don't feel comfortable with this. And frankly, again, who the hell knows who Epstein is? So that's what the situation was three years ago. So now this tape gets leaked, and immediately we find out that it, not ABC – but CBS, CBS has fired someone for having leaked the tape. Like, what? Huh? And it turns out that the person that CBS fired was a woman by the name of Ashley Bianco. Now, Ashley Bianco 
had worked for ABC. And then four days, four days after moving to CBS as an editor-producer, she gets fired as the person who apparently, again, there's not been a lot of good public information on this, but it appears as if she gets fired because ABC informed CBS that she's the one that leaked what you could argue was stolen property from ABC. And, you know, there's been a whole lot of outrage. Oh, my gosh. How in the world could CBS uh, fire the whistleblower? That's what the, the term they used here. Whistleblower. Um, and even Donald Trump Jr. was used and getting praised for using this bogus whistleblower analogy on The View. People who are reasonable, anti-Trump conservatives were, were saying, oh, you know what? I don't like uh, Donald Trump Jr., but boy, when he's right, he's right. That's, you know, oh, that's, that's, that's really hypocritical for CBS to fire the whistleblower. This is not a whistleblower, okay? Here's, let me tell you why this is not a whistleblower. One, it's not a, an official designation. A whistleblower in the context of impeachment is an official designation, all right? Uh, this is not an official designation. This is theoretically, oh, you're blowing the whistle on bad behavior. Also, by the way, there's no crime alleged here. There's nothing alleged being a crime. Not going with the Epstein story was not a crime by ABC. It may or may not have been the right journalistic move. It was not a crime. Oh, by the way, the ABC executives who made that decision are not elected officials. They're not public officials. So in no way, shape, or form is this analogous to the Ukrainian whistleblower. But a lot of morons are trying to make that, uh, that claim. And it's amazing how bad people are at analogies. But anyway, one of those who rushed to the whistleblower's defense was Megyn Kelly. It's amazing how everything comes full circle here because, I, as I mentioned before, I've been in extensive conversation via messaging with Megyn Kelly over the whole Matt Lauer thing. And I think she's become a conspiracy nut. I really do. And it's, it's a shame because I like Megyn Kelly. I've defended Megyn Kelly. I, I've gotten to know her lawyer uh, in another case. Uh, I mean, we've even... Uh, indirectly talked about working together on some things, which isn't going to happen now, I can, I can assure you, because I'm sure she's pissed at me, and I'm disappointed in her, because I've been telling her, Megan, I think you're wrong in this Matt Lauer NBC thing, and I think, you know, we don't know for sure yet, but by the way, I think it's, start, it's time to start asking the question, where are the people that NBC is going to let out of these NDAs that she predicted was going to happen? NBC a couple weeks ago said, you want out of your NDA to talk about sexual abuse? Have at it. Come to us. We'll let you out of your NDA. It's been two weeks since that happened. And that happened because of Megyn Kelly saying that NBC should do this. Crickets so far. Doesn't mean... We won't hear some story, which might may or may not be bullcrap, but so far, nothing. So she's moved on to this Ashley Bianco story, and she interviews Ashley Bianco on her own for her own YouTube page for No Network. This interview is really odd. First of all, it's it's uh, way too tightly edited. In fact, I joked on Twitter, you know what, um, uh, Megyn Kelly should uh, hire Ashley Bianco to edit her next uh, interview tape because this one it was like rapid fire edits in a way that made the whole conversation seem contrived and i i would like to believe it's they just took out all the pauses and and were too concerned about having it be rapid fire because you know all it was was a conversation between megan kelly and this ashley bianco uh, but it, it felt 
contrived and felt like some of the things were a little bit out of context. But here's the part, and, and there were parts of what Bianco said that I found to be credible. She cried. She's very upset. But here's the part that I was amazed that Megyn Kelly didn't at least ask about, if not really get to the bottom of. Because here's what we're being asked to believe. Here's Bianco's story. We're, the, Bianco's story is she was just innocently working at ABC. She saw Amy Robach on this uh, hot uh, mic situation. She made it a clip of that, and she put it into the computer system. And she never touched it again. She never did anything with it again. She doesn't know how it got leaked. She doesn't know what Project Veritas is. Uh, she, I, I think she said she never spoke to James O'Keefe, who runs Project Veritas. So, uh, and, and then, and here's the part that all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Then, after this event happens, she's very happy at ABC, but she suddenly decides to go to CBS. Now, this is not a situation where she's a talent, okay? She's an unknown person. This is not like where CBS woos her to come uh, from ABC to CBS. It's not the way it works. These are, these are fairly low-paying jobs, uh, you know, and, and I doubt very seriously that CBS went out and recruited her just coincidentally to, uh, to move from ABC to CBS. There's no real incentive for CBS to do that. It's not on their radar. You know, it doesn't make any sense. But here's what would make sense. What would make sense is she decides she needs to get out of ABC, and so she starts applying to jobs elsewhere, and so she just happens to land at CBS four days before this story breaks. Now, that doesn't prove anything, but that's a hell of a coincidence. That is a coincidence that either makes her the most unlucky person uh, that I can think of in recent memory, or there's more to this story. And the more their story is, that's consistent with someone who knows they need to get out of Dodge, that they've done something wrong and they're looking for a safe harbor. And they get a job at CBS and then this thing blows up and she doesn't anticipate that ABC will contact CBS and that CBS will do ABC's bidding for them on this. Because I agree that from a from a public perception standpoint, this looks like the mean, nasty media conglomerates all working together to continue the massive cover-up on behalf of Jeffrey Epstein. That's, that's ridiculous. Uh, that's not what happened. And while I despise the news media and have incredible distrust in them, one thing I do have trust in them usually, not always, but usually, is they know how to avoid a good lawsuit. And because uh, this is this is what they do for a living is to avoid lawsuits. And the idea that CBS would instantaneously fire Bianco, uh, who they had to know was a theoretically sympathetic character in, and do so on behalf of ABC, that indicates to me they had to have really strong evidence of wrongdoing. Now, maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm, that's a presumption that I'm making that uh, could be flawed. And if, it, if that is flawed, then all of this would break down and my mind could be easily changed and what really happened here. But based upon what we currently know, I think that Bianco's story is not the full story. 
I, I think it's got to be way worse for her than what she's indicating. And I think Megyn Kelly has once again been duped, much like she's been duped by people in the Matt Lauer NBC story. I think she's being duped because she has bought into this narrative of the media covering up for sex abusers. They were not covering up for Jeffrey Epstein. They didn't think they had the story nailed under the circumstances of three years ago. And as ABC said, they've done plenty of reporting on Jeffrey Epstein. They've even got a podcast out about the whole Jeffrey Epstein uh, situation. Amy Rohrbach was blowing off steam, in my opinion. And by the way, this is a news flash for you. When people, especially uh, you know, prominent people like news anchors, are blowing off steam and they think they're talking privately, it, they're prone to exaggeration. They're prone to exaggerating just how much they really had three years ago. Because they want to be able to think, well, you know what? I I should be the person who get the, got the credit for breaking this story. But ABC didn't have the guts. And instead, the Miami Herald got all the credit. So uh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's just very frustrating to me that people don't use their goddamn brains. They don't use basic logic. They don't think through an entire scenario and narrative that makes sense. And that's clearly what's happening through every thread of this Jeffrey Epstein story. Similarly, there's a new revelation about Jim Jordan. Now, for those of you who have been fans of this podcast, you know, Jim Jordan, a Republican congressman from Ohio, who I hate. I hate him because he's a Trump sycophant. But uh, last year, he got embroiled in this emerging so-called Penn, uh, not Penn, there's a Freudian slip, Ohio State a sex abuse scandal involving a Dr. Strauss and wrestlers. Now, when I first heard about this story, my BS detector went off uh, at about a nine and a half. If no, for no other reason than the very basics of the allegations, which no one ever wants to talk about. No one ever wants to discuss what are the actual allegations here. Just on its face, this whole Ohio State story is absurd. Here are the basic facts. A doctor, Dr. Strauss, who has been dead now for 14 years, 14 years, he, who is a diminutive guy, is accused retroactively 13 years later, because it started last year, after the Penn State scandal, after the Michigan State scandal, this is really important. Ohio State is not just geographically the next state school. They're all in the same conference. So Penn State pays out over $100 million to alleged Sandusky victims. Michigan State pays out even more money to more Larry Nasser victims in a case that is mostly not bullshit, and he's absolutely guilty as hell to make, make it very, very clear, which is why... He confessed and pled guilty, unlike Sandusky. So you got Ohio, so that you got people who are looking at this and going, oh, wow, Penn State pays out a boatload of money. Michigan State pays out a boatload of money. And somebody at Ohio State, and I've spoken to the person who did this for multiple hours, and he's fucking crazy. He goes to himself, well, gee, anybody else remember this Dr. Strauss guy? that we had to deal with when we were on the wrestling team 
Remember Dr. Strauss? He was gay and he was handsy and we all joked about how he would cup our balls when we did the cough test and he would cup them for too long and he liked to watch the the, the naked wrestlers naked. Uh, remember that guy? And I'm sure everyone, yeah, that was crazy, man. Oh, man, wow, yeah, it was so uncomfortable. Uh, and I'm not defending what the hell Dr. Strauss did or did not do, but for 13 years after he's dead, nobody said anything. Nobody. There's no record of any direct allegations of clear sexual abuse while he was alive and working. None. This is a clear situation where people in light of Penn State and Michigan State are going, hmm, we might have uh, we might have something going here. Uh, we might be able to get Ohio State to do the same thing Penn State and Michigan State did. And think about the just the natural, the basics of the allegations. Okay, because as they started to emerge, as as in my theory, this this grain of him being a gra- a gay doctor who was too handsy and inappropriate and and may have given drugs. I've I've been told this by people who were there, may have given extra drugs to people who let uh, him ogle them. That this inappropriateness, as it grows and grows, we're now supposed to believe that college wrestlers allowed themselves to be sexually abused by a diminutive gay doctor and never said anything to anybody in power, never made any sort of complaint, never filed a lawsuit, never did anything. College wrestlers. Have you ever seen a college wrestler? Have you ever, have you ever contemplated a college wrestler? Let me give you a, a specific example. The second person involved at the origins of the story is a guy by the name of Demyasha Yetz. And this is where the, the craziness of my life comes in, the six degrees of John Ziegler. When I first heard the name Demyasha Yetz, I'm like, wait a minute. I know that name. Holy cow, that guy has to be from Steubenville, Ohio. He has to have played on the football team at uh, Steubenville because I remember there being the Yetz brothers who were superstars on the football team, which I had covered for a TV station and written a book about. Spent an entire year covering them for a book I wrote called Dynasty of the Crossroads. Don't even bother trying to find it. You can't. But I digress. The point is, I was like, wow, wait a minute. Dinyasha Yetz? was allowing this little doctor to sexually abuse him and never say anything. So I started going back to my Steubenville connections, and they're like, yeah, this is total bullshit. Dinyasha Yetz would have, would have beaten the living shit, beaten the living shit out of anybody who tried to sexually abuse. Some, some little gay doctor had done anything to him. That doctor would have been dead. Dinyasha Yetz came from the, the hard streets of Steubenville. He's a black guy who's a killer. A kill. He was an Olympic level wrestler. An Olympic level wrestler is going to allow, not in 1923. This is this is the 1990s. He's going to allow this gay doctor to sexually abuse him. Really? Come on, people. You cannot be serious. But this is the essence of this whole story. By the way, here's the kicker on Dinyasha Yetz. Dinyasha Yetz was convicted of federal fraud charges for having stolen $2 million from his own clients. This is the guy. This is the guy on which the entire case begins. 
This is the guy still being quoted by NBC News this past week when the story finally builds up to the next level, which I'll get to in a moment because I, but we need to go through this and how this works. So last year, there's all these stories about the Ohio State thing. But what's the news hook? The news hook is some of these guys told Jim Jordan. Bum, bum, bum. And that's the only reason why the media cares. They, they tried. They tried to get people interested in this story. But even the media was like, uh, the guy's been dead for 14 years or 13 years back then. There's no documented reports about this. Uh, I'm sorry. We need more than this. And then they gave him, well, what if we told Jim Jordan, who was an assistant wrestling coach at the time? Oh, now we got something. Because now we got uh, uh, relevance to what's going on publicly because Jim Jordan is a major congressman and a big Trump supporter. And, uh, and, uh, and we also got, by the way, have something that fits our liberal agenda in the news media. So this is perfect. Oh, now we got something. So, so now they start with all these bullshit stories about this absurd narrative, and it gets huge coverage only because of Jordan. Without Jordan, there's no story. So then, with all the media pressure, what happens next? Ohio State, being a liberal state-run academic institution, goes, Oh, we must investigate! We will investigate! We promise we'll get to the bottom of this! Well, once they say they're investigating, guess what then happens? Because of Penn State and because of Michigan State, they're putting out the bat signal to anybody out there who was ever involved in the wrestling program or even Ohio State's athletic program, whoever had any dealings with Dr. Strauss or maybe even imagine they had some dealings with Dr. Strauss that were remotely inappropriate. So people start coming out of the woodwork. They, and I believe they got 177 people who claimed some sort of sexual abuse by Dr. Strauss. And again, uh, the vast majority of these are in the realm of things that in the 1990s, guys wouldn't have even considered to be quote-unquote sexual abuse. They just would have been funny things. There's even a video. There's a video of the guy who first started this whole thing in a bar joking about Dr. Strauss, joking about uh, what everyone used to say about him as this uh, gay, handsy doctor. This was not, uh, you know, this is not a Dr. Larry Nasser situation, but everybody wants it to be a Dr. Larry Nasser situation, okay? I'm not defending it. I'm just telling you what I believe it to have been. So now all this media coverage creates this bogus investigation. And of course, much like Penn State and Michigan State, the person investigating has no incentive to exonerate Ohio State. If they give away money, it's not their money. It's state money. So it's not it's nothing off their back. And by the way, this happened long enough to where there's not even some administrator that needs to protect themselves from having been involved in some sort of bogus cover-up. So there's no incentive at all for Ohio State to defend themselves. So they put out this report. Yep. Oh, wow. This has been horrible. Uh, and uh, now all of a sudden, it spurned a ton of lawsuits. Why? Because this is the new American dream. Oh, my gosh. I was abused 30, 35 years ago uh, by an institution with a lot of money and no incentive to defend themselves. Eureka! Yay! And so, in the midst of that, what happens? 
Well, you have to remember the nature of these allegations. Not only are they vague, not only are they unsubstantiated, they're fucking old. And the statute of limitations has already expired. So the only way, and I know this from the Penn State case, the only way you're going to get Ohio State to pay you any significant amount of money is if you get media pressure on them. All right. And the only way to get media pressure, and this is as clear as day last year in the summertime when this story broke, it's clear as day that the easiest and best and most efficient way to get media coverage is to say the magic words Jim Jordan. Well, sure enough, in the midst of the impeachment uh, uh, hearings, where Jim Jordan is taking a very prominent role in defending Donald Trump, I believe erroneously so, but that's neither here nor there. I hate the guy, but I'm one of these stupid people that defends people I even hate when they're being unfairly attacked. NBC comes out with a report, and this is just absolutely fucking laughable, and it got, it got uh, picked up everywhere. NBC reports that um, a quote-unquote professional referee is claiming that sometime no year given no year given sometime in the late 80s or early 90s a professional referee while i believe in a shower at ohio state saw dr strauss masturbating himself now this is an odd allegation right off the bat because Technically, is that, I mean, as gross and ridiculous and inappropriate as that is, is that even you being sexually abused? I mean, if, if you're in a shower and the guy next to you is masturbating, is that you being sexually abused? I mean, to me, no. I mean, that's you seeing something that's really inappropriate, wrong, and should be reported. So what does he allegedly do? He allegedly tells, of course, not... Um, anybody who's actually really an authority, he magically, just magically, I'm sure by coincidence, he tells assistant wrestling coach Jim Jordan. Now, I would submit to you that there, uh, the, the, it's far more likely that the reason why he uh, magically, in this unknown year, told Jim Jordan about this is because he's already knows or his lawyer knows, this is the way you get your lawsuit publicity by implicating Jim Jordan. That makes a hell of a lot more sense than I saw a guy, a referee, saw a guy masturbating and decided to tell assistant coach Jim Jordan. And as far as who this guy is, this is another part of this that's amazing. We don't have a name. We have no idea who this guy is. At least in Yasha and Yetz, his name is public, even though NBC seems to just want to ignore he was convicted on federal char fraud charges of bilking his friends, his clients, out of $2 million. But at least we know the name. This guy, we don't even know a name. He could be anybody. He could be a child molester. He could be a complete criminal. He's instead referred to as, quote-unquote, professional referee. Now, professional referee. This is the late 80s, early 90s college wrestling. There are no such things as professional college referees. This screams. You know what this screams as? This screams as this guy is such a fucking loser, whoever he is looking for this payday, that the only way they could clean him up 
to make him give have him some semblance of credibility is to call him a professional referee because that may boy that sounds wow a professional referee would never lie about something like this 30 some years later with no actual year bullshit bullshit the whole story is bullshit i don't believe any of it i mean I, I don't I don't I have no reason to believe any of it. Is it theoretically possible that uh, he saw Strauss uh, doing something to himself in a shower? Sure. But who the hell cares? The guy's been dead for 14 years. Ohio State's not responsible for that. Jim Jordan's not responsible for that. And I don't think there's any chance in hell he told Jim Jordan about this. And Jim Jordan just said, yeah, we know. Because that's allegedly what it was. And you know why I feel confident about this? This is the exact same thing that happened to Joe Paterno. Exactly the same thing. Where the guys in the Sandusky case who were too old, they were outside the statute of limitations. No one in the media ever used their fucking thinking caps to go, well, gee, isn't it odd that Joe Paterno, according to court records, and boy, the media loves court records, like court records make something credible. Court records is bullshit. Court records is someone trying to get money for something that didn't happen to them. That's what court records are. But the media, because they always need cover because they're a bunch of moronic cowards, they, they look at court records, if it fits their narrative, as somehow being blessed by a court, and therefore it must be true. No, there's no been, been no fucking jury verdict here. This is just an allegation anonymously in a lawsuit looking for money. But it, no one in the media ever thought with regard to Paterno, gee, let's think about this. The allegations in these court documents that are so credible is that Joe Paterno was told that Jerry Sandusky was a pedophile in both 1972 and 1976. And yet there's never any indication from anybody that he ever gets told about this, never does anything about it, which is absurd because in 1972, Jerry Sandusky is barely even on the coaching staff. He's a nobody. You can get rid of him in a heartbeat. No one's going to even black, blink an eye. He's not even. He's hardly even <clears throat> on the staff. Uh, so that's absurd on its face. But why is Joe Paterno never told about anything like this again until 2000, 2001? What happens in that 25-plus year period of time. How come nobody in the media ever thought, well, is it there a possible another explanation? Is it possible there's another scenario to explain why the oldest allegations implicate Joe Paterno? And to me, I was able to figure this out in like three minutes. I'm like, um... The oldest guys have the weakest claim. They have no corroboration. They're too old. They're way outside the statute of limitations in Pennsylvania. And the only way you're going to get Penn State to pay you is if you really put on the pressure. And the way to put on the most pressure is, I told Joe Paterno about this. And I happen to know for a fact that Penn State didn't even believe these guys because they gave them the least amount of money they gave anybody in the entire scam. I have the records. They got paid peanuts in comparison to everybody else because they just wanted them to go away. Because they just wanted, they didn't, somebody 
didn't want the story to be told because they probably didn't believe it. Well, I also believe that the reason why those documents got leaked is I think somebody had it out for Joe Paterno and wanted to destroy because they, they, they got leaked at exactly the time, and I know this more than anybody, when Paterno's legacy was actually on the verge of being restored. And then those came down like a, a bat out of hell and came crashing down, and it's been, it's been impossible to do anything ever since. Those stories, and I know I know the names. I know the names. I know the backstories. They're science fucking fiction. They're not true. And it's the same thing that happened with Jim Jordan as what happened with, the, with Joe Paterno. And as far as updating on the Sandusky thing, of course, November 9th is the 8th anniversary of Paterno's firing, Graham Spanier's firing, and really the, the moment, that was the moment when this case left the gravitational pull of the rational earth. Penn State did the most colossally stupid thing I've ever heard of anybody doing. In firing Joe Paterno and Grand Spanier, they thought they were going to separate themselves from the story when, in fact, they made it clear for all time this was going to be a Penn State story, and they were paving the way for this to become way bigger and way more scandalous than it ever should have been, especially since it turned out to be not based on anything. Uh, and it's interesting to me individually, since it's been eight years now since I, on and off since I've been on this case, you know, my first daughter, Grace, who is seven and a half years old, she was conceived just before this story began. In fact, it was within days of Joe Paterno and Grand Spaniard's firing that we found out Grace even existed. So her life is literally exactly the same as this uh, as the Penn State scandal. That's how embedded in my existence this story has been. And while there hasn't been very many reasons to... Uh, for solace or certainly rejoicement. There's been no justice in this case. I, I did make a tweet that, that attempted to try to come up with some semblance of justice because when you think back on eight years, in the eight years since the media destroyed Joe Paterno and Graham Spanier and, and Gary Schultz and Tim Curley and, and, yes, Jerry Sandusky, five good people who I believe are totally innocent in all this, in those years, some of their biggest critics have had some very, very, very tough times. Uh, I learned this week that Sarah Ganim, the person whose reporting was the origin of all of this, then a 24-year-old cub reporter at a small Pennsylvania newspaper who ends up winning the Pulitzer Prize, essentially because the prosecution handed her all this secret information looking for her to put a Craigslist ad in the local paper for new accusers because they knew their case sucked. I didn't realize that Sarah Gannon, who had won the Pulitzer Prize and went to CNN, is no longer even in the business. CNN did not renew her contract this year. She's now teaching in Florida at 32. Yes, she's got a kid, but uh, I'm sorry, based upon uh, what her, her narrative is, that she's writing a book and doing a documentary and teaching, this isn't about uh, spending more time with the kid. This is about CNN realizing, Jesus, this, this woman is a fraud. Because literally, she only became known for two things at CNN. Having a snowball thrown at her while covering a snowfall in the Northeast and laughing on camera with Wolf Blitzer inappropriately while they thought a tape of, a, of an abuse case was going on. That's what she became known for. This was supposed to be the, the journalistic savant. How is that possible? It's only possible if she is indeed a fraud. And if Sarah Ganim is a fraud, the whole case is a fraud because it was all on her shoulders. She is a complete and total fraud. 
And I don't know if anyone's ever going to know that now because she's out of the business. I was hoping, I knew CNN would eventually dump her, but I was hoping that something really dramatic would happen. They would be forced to, to publicly fire her. I didn't even know this happened. This happened, I must have been in Yosemite or something when this occurred during the summertime. But she's now out of the business. Craig Carton, Joe Paterno's biggest critic, he's now in prison for fraud. Bill Conlin, a columnist out of Philadelphia, he was one of the Penn State's biggest critics. Turned out he was a real pedophile, and now he's dead. Deadspin, the first uh, alleged news organization, a website that called for Joe Paterno's firing. I couldn't believe it when I first read it eight years ago um, in a couple of days. I thought, what? Joe Paterno's going to get fired over Jerry Sandusky being accused of child sex abuse? That's insane. Deadspin is now effectively dead. Josh Elliott, the man who did the the most outrageous interview in the history of interviews with Grand Spanier. It's unbelievable. He got fired. He, le he let, le left ABC after that interview. He got fired by NBC, and then he got fired by CBS. He, he did the trifecta in the eight years since. He's been gone from all three major television networks. Piers Morgan, with whom I fought on CNN, with Sarah Gannon, by the way, who was in that. You can find it on YouTube. It's hilarious. He got dropped by CNN and is now no longer doing media in this country. Buzz Bissinger, a guy who is a complete whack job, who is uh, as a fetish for wearing women's clothing, uh, who, who uh, was an esteemed writer and who was Penn State and Paterno's biggest critic. He's out of the, even the radio business. Uh, I mean, I know personally, you're out of the radio business. You must really be a loser. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but, but Bissinger has been disgraced and he's gone for all intents and purposes. So the history of the last eight years uh, indicates that, I don't know if it's karma or whether or not bad people finally having their luck run out, but uh, it's at least some solace for me when I look at uh, what's happened over the last eight years. Meanwhile, I'm still standing. Not very tall, but I'm still here. I'm still standing. I'm still standing. Uh, I've still got to, you know, I'm, I'm happy in my life. My kids are growing up fine. Uh, you know, they're probably going to think of their dad as a loser eventually, largely because of my stance on this case. But as of right now, I'm still here. I'm still standing. And by the way, I'm still trying to get work done in this. I've given up in some regards, but I even have another. Every once in a while, I will take a meeting with someone who thinks that they can change this. I have one of those scheduled this week. My expectations are exceedingly low. But uh, theirs are not. So I'm going to keep an open mind. And see what happens. And if anything's worthy of it, I will report back to you. By the way, I referenced on last week's podcast that Sandusky was supposed to have a uh, hearing this week for his resentencing. And it got delayed at the last minute for another two weeks. And apparently it got delayed because they needed to wait so they could schedule it for several of the trial accusers to come to the hearing because they're very afraid that Jerry might be allowed out of prison and they're very angry about it and they want to hold a demonstration and a press conference to show how angry they are that Jerry could theoretically be let out of prison in this resentencing hearing. No, I'm sorry. That's all bullshit. That's not true. None of that is true. There are, will be no victims there. I don't know why the delay happened. It was purely procedural. There will be no uh, trial victims there because they're not angry because they're all very fucking happy counting their goddamn money. So there will be no victims at this hearing whenever it happens, which is something that if the media used their fucking brains, they would go, gee, it's kind of weird that not one of the eight guys who accused Jerry as adults of these horrible crimes is even bothering to come to this hearing to make sure that he stays in prison. Hmm. 
I wonder if there's a reason for that. Ah, let's stick with this bullshit narrative instead. That's the way it works in this world now. All right, that'll do it for an extended edition of the World According to Zig podcast. As is always the case, please remember to uh, share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like mm, silk performance fabric huh maybe we should oh i don't know try them out again <laughs> <laughs> comfort and performance for better sleep that's sheiks s-h-e-e-x sheiks try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free go to sleepcoolnow.com use promo code 1212 and get 40 dollars off any sheet set that's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212 sleepcoolnow.com 1212